please remain standing for the gospel reading. Good morning. Our scripture reading today is from Luke 4, verses 1 through 13. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Well, good morning. Good to see you all here this morning. We're uh, starting a new sermon series. We're in a season of the church year called Lent, which is this 40 days interspersed by Sundays from Ash Wednesday, which we celebrated Wednesday night, till Easter. And this is a season where we think about more practice and repentance and what does it mean to spiritually practice things in our lives and grow closer to God. So we're gonna be looking at a sermon series called Five Simple Words. And the practice of saying these five simple words might change our relationship with God and also our relationship to each other. So the five simple words are this, no, yes, enough, sorry, thanks. You got that? No, yes, enough, sorry, thanks. Today, we're gonna talk about saying, the practice of saying no, and knowing what to say no to. And that's what we heard today. Now, I have discovered in my life, I don't know if you've discovered this to be true, but have you noticed that it's real easy to say yes to a lot of things? And then you end up saying no to other things. So you say yes, 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 and then all of a sudden you find yourself saying no, no, no. Uh, we recently got a puppy. We said yes to a puppy, her name's Riley. She, uh... So I figured, how can you go wrong starting out a sermon with a picture of a puppy, right? And I, you know, you see her all the alls. And... So Riley is a gold adore. She's, uh, her dad was a golden retriever. Her mom was a black lab. And so they, this is what now call a gold door. There's so many different hybrids and breeds. I can't keep up with them all now. But Anyway, to me, it's a dog, it's a puppy. And so we said yes to a puppy, you know, and how can you say no to, how many people, how can you say no to a puppy? Parents, right? Yeah, how can you say no to a puppy? Right, they're cute, they're lovable. And when we first, yeah, a lot of people are going, I said no, right? All right, that's good. 
So we get this puppy and, and you know, when we first get the puppy, we're like, yes, let's get a puppy. Yes, this is wonderful. Yes, this is great. But you know, I'm hearing a different response now. It's been a few weeks and I don't hear as many yeses in the house as I was hearing at the beginning. I'm hearing a lot of, no, don't chew on that. No, you can't pee there. No, you can't do that. No, you can't eat that. No, get off of that. No, don't jump on me. No, don't bite me. No, don't, no, 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 no. And I thought about that, how we often in our lives say yes to a lot of things and then we end up saying no out of sometimes frustration and out of impatience, right? Because we've said so many yeses. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not against getting puppies. That's, let me just be clear about that. What I'm saying is that there's this part of us that it makes it real easy for us to say yes to things without thinking about the no's that may need to come later. Did you notice something about Jesus this morning in the gospel lesson? What was he saying no to? <laughs> what was he refusing? He didn't, say the, he didn't actually use the word no in the gospel lesson, but he was saying no to the devil, right? Now, you have to keep in mind that before he gets to this point, he's been baptized by John in the Jordan, and the Holy Spirit comes and shows up, and God says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And then he says that he, full of the Holy Spirit, goes into the wilderness for 40 days, this beginning of this season of 40 days. And he goes into the wilderness, and he goes into the desert, and I don't know if you've ever been in a desert or out in the wilderness where there are no trees, no animals, no birds, just rocks and mountains, and all you can hear is silence, solitude. So he is out there in this silence, in this solitude for 40 days. He's had nothing to eat, right? And notice that when, when does the devil show up? <laughs> when does the devil show up? At the end of the 40 days. But I would suggest to you that, you notice that the devil shows up, and it says even at the end of the gospel lesson that the devil's gonna show up again at a what? An opportune time, right? And so that's the thing about it. And if you look at the devil in scripture and how it's personified, what's the animal that is associated with the devil in scripture? It is a Sunday school lesson here this morning. What's that? The snake, the serpent, right? Go back to the Garden of Eden, right? Now, Jesus, interestingly, also said this. He said, I want you disciples to be as wise as serpents and as innocent as doves. Now, why would Jesus say wise as serpents and then here we have this devil associated with the serpent? What is it about a serpent that is wise? Timing. A serpent always knows how to time things. The coil of the serpent, the speed of the serpent, the serpent waits to the right moment to strike. What do you see in the gospel lesson this morning from the devil? He says, I'm gonna wait for the right moment to strike. But that's also wisdom, as much as we don't like it personified in the devil, but there's a wisdom to knowing when is the right time to strike. There is a right time to say yes, and there is a right time to say no. That's wisdom, that's discernment. And so Jesus, I would suggest to you that Jesus has actually been spending 40 days getting ready to say no. He spent a lot of time reflecting, he spent time in solitude, so he was preparing for his ministry, but at the same time he is now confronted with these questions. Are you gonna say yes, Jesus, to these things? I would suggest to you that Jesus has been preparing himself to say no, to be as wise as a serpent, the very serpent that he faces. 
And there's a wisdom and discernment comes from this. And I wonder about, I was beginning to think about what is the wisdom behind what Jesus is saying no to? What is the refusal about? And if you look into it deeper, I begin to see some things in the scripture lesson this morning. One thing that Jesus says no, what is informing his no in each instance? What is informing his no is scripture. Notice that he responds to every request with the word of God. He responds with each request with the refusal because of what he, has, he knows in scripture. So he's actually letting scripture inform his no. That's where he gets some of his wisdom. But I, I would caution us at this moment too because who else is using scripture? The devil. And that's the thing about it is that anybody can use scripture <laughs> for their own agenda. And that's why it's also important for us to study the whole of scripture and understand all of scripture so that we don't, when we confront people in our lives who like to pluck out scriptures, you know, pastors, preachers, pluck out scriptures for their own agendas, right? That's what's going on here, that you can take a piece of scripture, twist it just a little bit and make it fit what you believe rather than believing the scriptures, allowing the scripture to have the authority in your life. And so what Jesus is saying is that I'm gonna allow the scripture to inform my no. The other thing that he is informing his no is this. He's, he's also noticed that each of the temptations is about use of power. Each temptation is saying to Jesus, Jesus, we want you to have power. We want you to use your power. And each refusal is, is a refusal to say, I'm not gonna use power for who? who, who is, what's the temptation here to use his power for whom? Himself, right? So every refusal is actually a refusal to use power for his own benefit. He has power, but he's saying, I'm not going to use power for my benefit. I'm going to ultimately use my power for the benefit of others. There is a bigger thing going on here. There's a bigger mission going on here. And I'm not going to waste my power giving in to the temptations life that just serve me. So that's another thing he uses. And I think that informs his no. His use of power and how he's going to wield power and use power is a part of that no. And don't we need that today? People who know how to wield power? Don't we need to know people who can wield power for the benefit of others? And then the last thing I think that Jesus does a great job of informing is no, and this is really where I wanna go with the rest of the sermon today, is that he keeps his relationship with God intact. Every refusal, every no has to do with his relationship to God. He wants to honor God in his no. He wants to say to God, God, you're number one in my life, and so I'm gonna refuse all these requests because I want to say no to them so that I can set a boundary on my relationship with you and know that you are number one. God, he is honoring God in his no. And that's what I want to suggest to us this morning, that part of wisdom and part of discernment and part of timing in, the answer, in our yeses and nos in the world have to do with this wisdom of saying yes to God. There are things we need to say no to so that we can say yes to God. And this is actually very healthy for us in a lot of different ways. But Dr. Les Carter, uh, in his book called People Pleasers, is anybody familiar with that? Dr. Les Carter is a psychologist. He wrote a book about people pleasing and our tendency to say yes to a lot of people to try and please them rather than God. And one of the things that Dr. Les Carter says is this. He said, others won't acknowledge your limits until you first demonstrate that you acknowledge your own limits. I say this to people all the time. They come to me and say, well, pastor, you know, I, I, you know, people are asking me, I'm like, 
you know, nobody's gonna ha- come to you and say, hey, would you say no? Like your boss is not gonna come to you this week and say, you know, I, you're working too much. You're working more than 40 hours this week. I want you to stop working more than 40 hours. Would you just cut it back a little bit? Has the boss ever come to anybody and say, work less, right? Or, you know, is anybody gonna actually come to you and say, I want you to, to set a boundary for yourself? No. The only person that can set that boundary, that only person that can set, say that no, that is informed by wisdom and discernment, and when we say no to honor God, we have to be the ones that set that boundary. And until we set it, guess what will happen? The rest of the world will set it for us. That until we figure out where our limits are, and that's what Jesus did, right? He, he figured out where his limits were. My limit is the word of God. My limit is, is, my, is the, my relationship with my heavenly father, with God. And it's my, how I'm gonna use power. I'm, I'm not gonna use power for personal benefit. He had set limits. He had spent 40 days getting ready to say no, to say these are my limits, this is where I will not go, these are non-negotiables, and I'm gonna say no to anything that doesn't help me do these three things. And so what he did was exactly what Dr. Les Carter was saying. He demonstrated to the world before he even started his ministry where his limits were. He was saying to the rest of the world, I will go this far, but no further. And he was very clear about his own personal boundaries of what he was gonna say yes to and what he was gonna say no to. So how does this work for us? Easy to preach about, easy to talk about, whole nother world to go out there and say no to start to think about wisdom and sermon, prepare ourselves and to think about where are, our, where are we going to acknowledge our own limits and say no. So one of the things I thought I'd use is a little teaching tool that many people have used throughout the years called the quadrant, you know, and, and uh, Stephen Covey in his uh, book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People use the quadrant, talk about important things and unimportant things. I'm not gonna use that this morning, but I wanna talk about the quadrant of spiritual effort and our relationship with God, because again, we're talking about how do we honor God with our no, so in how much spiritual effort or energy are we putting into things in life, and how do we discern what to say no to and what to say yes to when it comes to honoring God and our relationship with God. So I've come up with this quadrant uh, of four areas. Now we've got this diagram and it's an example of things. So you look on the horizontal axis and that's our spiritual effort. How much energy effort does it take? Does it take less or more energy? And then I'm either moving, it's either moving me closer to God, that practice of saying no or some practice in my life, or it may be moving me further away from God. So I have to think about that. So I've added four, there are four categories. Now the first one is called the quadrant of blessing. This is where it doesn't take a lot of energy to say yes in this quadrant, but I really move, I feel like I move closer to God in this quadrant, right? So these are some of the, the easy things to do. So for me, one of the things I know that's real easy for me to do, doesn't take a lot of effort, but I always feel better about it. I always feel closer to God. I feel like I'm a little bit better in my relationship with God is just sometimes just going for a hike and being in God's creation. Why? Because God, the creation is God's natural revelation to us. We, we learn about God through creation. That's why a lot of people go hiking on, on, on winter break weekend, right? That's why they go away, right? And now a lot of people will say to me, hey, you know, I, I, sometimes I have more contact with God out in the mountains than I do in church. I get that, right? That's, that's an area of blessing. It's easy <laughs> to do, right? That's why, because it's easy to do 
and we feel we get a, we get a blessing from it, right? We, get, we feel closer to God. We feel connected to our creator. Maybe the endorphins are kicking in in our brains as we exercise, right? So those things bless us, right? So that's good. I'm saying go do it. <laughs> that's something to say yes to. But if, and if you go below that, though, there are some things that, we put, that are very easy for us to do, but they don't move us closer to God. There are some things in our life that are real easy to say yes to, but they're not helping our relationship with God. What are some of those things you think of that, that, that are just easy to do, but they're really not helping you with God? Go ahead. I'm going to let you answer this one. I got examples, but I'm gonna, what, what, what comes to your mind? Television. Television, right. What else? What was that again? Social media, yeah. Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat. What other cool thing have I not mentioned? All right. What else comes to mind? Email? Comfort food, right, yeah. I was thinking email or like chain email that get passed around, you know, that aren't, that are kind of true but not true. Fake news, you know, that kind of stuff. There's stuff that we can get involved in, entertainment, Uh, things, things on the internet that we can get involved in that really are not going to move us any closer to God. That's real easy. We just got to say no to it, right? Just say, that's why it says, just say no. I'm not talking about the war on drugs. I'm talking about practicing your faith. What are the things that you just need to say no to that are real easy to say no to because they're just not helping you in your relationship with God? Now I want to move back up to the top. There's a quadrant called discipline. So discipline is where you have to do it consistently over and over again. And it's through the consistency and through the long haul that actually you grow closer to God. That's what disciplines do. They're not easy, but they, in the long run, they are highly beneficial. So like the study of God's word, studying God's word is something you don't just do once and then go, hey, I'm great with God. Me and God are great, right? We do it consistently over time, and that discipline of the study of God's word actually begins to give us the wisdom that informs our no. You see how that works? And so I have to have certain disciplines in my life through prayer, study of God's word, and and, and generous giving that I do over time that actually begins to shape my relationship with God and my trust in God and my faith in God. And this is a long-term view. This is where we say yes to these disciplines, and we keep doing them over and over again because we believe in the long-term benefit of those disciplines. Now, there was a gentleman who wrote an opinion piece in the New York Times, I believe, and he said, you know, I've been going to church for 20 years. I can't remember a single sermon that the preacher ever preached in those 20 years that I went to church, so I'm not going to church anymore. Believe me, I can't even remember all the sermons I preached. And then there was another gentleman who responded to this editorial opinion and he said to him, you know, I've been married for 20 years and my wife has cooked me dinner every night for 20 years and I can't remember the meals that she cooked for me, but if I hadn't eaten them, I would have died. You see that, right? Long-term discipline, right? Long, it's the long-term, it's a long haul that we get the blessing. It's the consistency in which we're blessed through those disciplines. It is not through, hey, I'll try it once and I'm done. You know, I'm just, I just give up, right? That's not gonna help me in my relationship with God. It, it takes effort and it takes time, but you will be blessed beyond your imagination if you continue in it, right? Now, I say that first because I also wanna talk about this area of let go. This is this area where you put a lot of energy and you put a lot of effort into it and it may even be an area of discipline, but it just doesn't do anything for your relationship with God. 
It's not helping you move closer to God because maybe that place of discipline has become about duty and obligation and piety. (laughs) You know there's this idol called piety where I'm just feeding the idol of piety and I'm really doing it to make myself look more like a Christian, to make myself look pious or look better to others and it has nothing to do with my relationship with God. I'm doing it out of duty and obligation and what other people think about it. And what am I in this category? What am I in this quadrant really? I'm back to people pleasing rather than God pleasing. I'm doing things to make myself appear holier than maybe I really am. You know, I had to get over this uh, a long time ago. I was... um, think about this, and I was reading about these great men of prayer who got up every morning, you know, and prayed for two hours in the morning. I wish I could stand before you and say I was one of those disciplined men of God. But you know, I, I, that just wasn't working for me, and it was just drudgery for me, and I was sitting there going, I don't feel any closer to God sitting here, you know, and it may be something that I've got to work on. I'm not saying that or that I've got it all together, but what I'm saying is I had to look at that, and I go, Matt, why are you doing this? Are you trying to be somebody that you're not? Are you trying to be Billy Graham or Martin Luther King or a cardinal or, you know, you're trying to be somebody that God didn't call you to be. And if you really want to be in relationship with me, be in relationship with me. That's what God said to me, be in relationship with me. And I started to think about what does it mean to be in relationship with God? And I started to say, well, what is it like for me to be in relationship with other people? I don't get up every morning and talk to my wife for two hours. Now, I'm not saying it's a bad thing to do that. My wife maybe would like to do that. So again, don't follow me, follow Jesus. But what I'm saying is this is how I discerned what I needed to let go of. I needed to not let go of prayer, right? I needed to let go of the obligation of prayer. I needed to let go of the piety, the idol of piety when it came to prayer. I didn't let go of prayer. So for me, prayer works differently. So I try and pray more often throughout the day. I find that I pray better when I pray with other people, so I join with others in prayer. I find I pray better when I go on a hike or go on a walk by myself in the wilderness. I'll talk to God more on that hike or that walk or that run than I will do sitting in my study in my house. So I don't want you to hear this right. It's not that I'm not talking to God, I am. I just gave up on that idea that I had to do it in a two-hour chunk. See how that works? And so what I'm saying is don't give up on prayer, don't give up on the study of God's word, don't give up on these things, but there may be some pious things that we need to let go of so that we can have a better relationship with God. Because really that's ultimately the goal. The goal is your relationship with God and how you are with God in that relationship that is more important than the idol of piety. And believe me, the idol of piety can take over your relationship with God. I've been there. So be aware of that. That's a place to not let go of discipline, but let go of the piety, the idol of piety. So thinking about all this, we're in this 40-day season of Lent. I don't know where you are at on the quadrant. You maybe be thinking about some of these things that are in the quadrant for you and where you fit and where are the places of blessing and discipline for you and where are the places maybe you need to say yes to and no to and where are the places you need to let go of some things and especially the idol of piety in your life. So this season of Lent is a season of preparation. It's it's meant to draw us closer to God. Now, in my devotional time, I haven't given that up. I was been reading Oswald Chambers again, my utmost for his highest, that great devotional, and he is big on, 
holiness. This big word called sanctification. This word sanctification is just a fancy theological word that means to be in the process of being made holy or to become more like Christ, to mature in our faith, this process by which we engage in. And this 40 days of Lent are meant to be set aside for us of preparation, like Jesus going into the wilderness for 40 days to prepare ourselves to be sanctified, (laughs) to be made more holy, to be closer in our relationship with God. And Oswald Chambers said this, He says, are we prepared for what sanctification will cost? Cost. There's a cost to this. It will cost our intense narrowing of all our interests on earth and an intense broadening of all our interests in God. Sanctification means intense concentration on God's point of view. And I believe God's point of view is not just focused in heaven, but God's point of view is focused right here on earth and in your life and in my life. Now, here. So for you and I, the question is, there's a cost. What's the cost? That means I'm gonna have to say no to some things in my life so that I can grow closer to God. That this is gonna inform my relationship with God, my use of power, my understanding of scripture. There are some things I'm gonna have to narrow, cut out, say no to. Next week, we're gonna talk about broadening, some of the things that we say yes to. That's next week. But right now, I think it's important for us to practice the discipline of narrowing and saying no so that we can focus more on what God would say to us and speak into our lives. Because here's the thing I've learned as a human being, not as a pastor. I have this great habit of saying yes to a lot of things. And guess who gets the no? Guess who's the first person to say we, get, we say no to? It's not us, it's God. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed that in this world we say yes to this and yes to this and yes to this because we're excited, we're happy, we think it's gonna make us happy? And then when God comes along and God speaks into our life and God calls us and convicts us and calls us back to God, we we say, not right now, God. I'm too busy saying yes to all these other things in my life. I've said, yes, I've said yes so much to so many other things that I end up saying no to God, not even realizing that's what I've been doing the whole time. That I've been saying no to God. Not because I've been not holy or not because I'm not a good Christian or not because I don't love God. It's just because I've said not practiced the discipline of saying no to other things that get in the way of God or my family. And so we want to put God Number one, numero uno, right? We want to put God first in our lives. Seek first the kingdom of God and all other things will be added to you. And here's the truth. This is a simple truth that I've learned is that when we make God the number one point of our lives, everything else does fall into place. <laughs> and then uh, Richard Foster introduced me to the, the triangle of God and others. And I think we've got to die. So that as I move closer to God, now geometrically, as I move closer to God, who am I also moving closer to? If I move closer on the triangle to God, who do I naturally, even if the other person doesn't move closer to God, even if they don't even like God, don't have anything to do with God, what happens to our, my relationship to others even as I move closer to God? I'm actually moving closer to them too, even if they don't move, even if they do nothing, Right? So what I'm saying is that as I move closer to God, and I wish we could all just hold on to the simple truth, is that as we move closer to God and work on our relationship with God, it impacts every other relationship around us. Every other relationship. 
So as I become better in my relationship with God, I actually become a better husband. I become a better father. I become a better friend. I become a better brother. I become a better um, neighbor. I become a better pastor. All these things start to get better as I get better in my relationship with God. I didn't say perfect. We're going on to perfection. We don't want to lose that in our sanctification process. But, but my point is this, is that I'm not as good as I want to be, but I'm better than I used to be. I'm not as good as I want to be, but I'm better than I used to be because of my relationship with God. And it impacts the relationships around me. <clears throat> I'll share this with my, how this works and worked in my own life. I was actually walking my daughter to the bus stop one morning. We had a, long, a little bit of a walk from, the, from our house to where she picked up the bus. And, and I had this great thing called a smartphone. You all have one of those? And the great thing about a smartphone is I can get my email anytime I want. And so I was walking my daughter to the bus stop in the morning and checking my email on my smartphone as we were walking to the bus stop and as we were standing and waiting for the bus, I was checking my work email and checking in with people and seeing what the ministry was calling for that day. And my daughter standing there the whole time beside me as I read my email. And then one morning, God bless her heart, she says, Dad, all you do is check your email. I'm right here. Reminded me there's some things you gotta say no to so that you can be present to the people around you. There are some things you have to know, say no to so you can be present to God. You know what I did? I took work email off my smartphone. In fact, if you try and email me I'm not, and you think I'm gonna look at it on my smartphone, ain't gonna happen. Ain't's in the dictionary, by the way. It's not gonna happen because I have since then taken work email off of my smartphone so that I am more present in those moments. Have you ever gone out to dinner and watched all the families on their smartphone? You see what I'm saying? There are certain things we need to say no to so that we can say yes to the people around us and most importantly, so we can say yes to God. Number one, let's pray together.